Ever since I was little, I never fully believed in the supernatural. I grew up in a conservative Christian household, and ghosts and other things that went bump in the night were never a concern. The odd shadow in the corner of my room at night was just my eyes playing tricks on me, or a pile of clothes on my dresser. Never did I comprehend that there were other things in the room with me. When I got to university, I lived on campus the entire time, even though it was in the same town that I lived. My parents wanted me to get the full college experience. My freshman year, we made the joke that whatever was knocking the posters off the wall or making the weird bumping noises was a ghost. I named him George. He was always there, always in the back of our minds. However, we never fully believed that George was a real ghost, just something we invented to explain things falling or going missing in our dorm. Life went on with us blaming the small inconveniences of our lives on this George. That was all he was, a slight inconvenience. When we finally got to an apartment our junior year, we had a full two bedroom to the four of us with a kitchen. However, we had a motion activated fan in our bathroom that once it turned on, it would be on for a good minute and a half. We just thought it was sensitive because it would go off at random times. Late at night when everyone was in the bedroom, early in the morning when it was only me in the apartment, we started to yell at George to turn it off. And a few seconds later, it would. This started to freak us out because whenever we called out George, he would stop. And this started to change my mind regarding the subject of paranormal activity. This change wasn't fully realized until my senior year of university. I went to university for theater, and if I wasn't cast, I generally stage-managed the show. This was the case for our winter play, The Crucible by Arthur Miller. It was a long process, and I always had a weird feeling throughout the season. There was one instance that changed my life forever. Since I stage-managed, I had the keys to the scene shop, dressing rooms, and catwalk, and they were always on me. I would go on the catwalk and watch the shows from above just to see my actors portray this amazing story. There was one night I was up there during the show, and it was during the courtroom scene in Act Two. For context, my theater at the university was rather old. The catwalk was about 40 feet above the stage, and to get to it, you had to climb a small spiral staircase behind the stage to get up there. The spiral staircase is loud. You have to walk a certain way not to make the metal creak since it's an old theater. At the entrance, there was a door that was always locked and I was the only one with the key. The night I went up during tech week, I was directly over the stage. The minute I got up there, a feeling of dread overcame me. I just thought that it had to do with being 40 feet above the stage and one wrong move could send me tumbling over the edge. But I had been up there multiple times over my theater career at that university. The feeling grew worse as I felt heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. The first thought I had was one of my crew was joining me, but I remember clearly shutting the door behind me and it locking automatically. I was too scared to turn around. The other thought was that my director knew I was coming up there during the show and was gonna get mad at me. Suddenly, the footsteps stopped. My heart stopped, too, as a pressure settled on my chest. I couldn't move. Suddenly, someone started breathing on my neck. 
I whipped around and no one was there. I stood stock still for a few minutes, watching the black entrance to the staircase. Whatever it was, it was still there. This thing wanted to hurt me. Without a second thought, I ran down the stairs, shutting the door behind me and running to a bright spot backstage. I've never gone up there since. After that show, we were talking to my roommate's father, who went to the same university. He also did theater there, and he asked, have you ever had any interactions with the Kresge ghost? We had no clue what he was talking about. In the three and a half years the both of us have been doing theater, he had never mentioned this to us. He told us his name was George. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum, and this... Is Ghoul Intentions. Ooh. Welcome. <laughs> Hope everybody Welcome, had foolish a... mortals. I yes. just always want to... I it's love doing nice. that. I like it. I it's the day for it. Because uh, we're actually recording this on Halloween. We are recording it on Halloween. But by the time you listen to it, it will be over. So I hope you had a great Halloween and weekend after Halloween. And, and, and yes, and many, many, like, just have a lot of post-Halloween fun as yes, well. Yes. Because there's gonna... a lot of time before Thanksgiving. That's true. I think we should also, just extend. I think there should be like the 12 days of Halloween. Don't you agree? 12 months of Halloween? Oh, fuck yes. That's more like we're, we're about that yeah. a little bit more. Every day is Halloween for us anyway. That's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, thank you, Pippin, for that story. Yeah, that was a great a good story. One. And I mm. love that your name is Pippin. What a theater person you are. Right? I love it. I love it. Um, Pippin's great. All chill. theaters are haunted. I've said it before. It's science, it's <laughs> how it works. My theater at OU was haunted. Yep. So. Yep. I've, I've worked for uh, several, every, every theater I've ever uh -huh. been in as an actor um, has been haunted, has come with its share of stories. Yep. Same. I was in the And they're always unique stories too. Absolutely. So it's not like it's not like just a trope that travels, you know, yeah. from from place to place that's there like cuz like the Phantom Hitchhiker sometimes that's a trope and not a real thing. Um, or it starts as one real thing but then gets a, Yeah, but then know, suddenly everyone to... thinks it's theirs, you know, and and uh, the woman in white. Yeah. Bitches in white are everywhere. Bitches in white are everywhere. <laughs> but but theaters always seem to have their own unique ghosts. Yeah. I remember there was one that It's uh, all the drama. It's all it is. It's, you can't help it. There's so many feelings. Um, it had started off as a movie theater. And it was in Norman. And there was the rumor. I never looked into it. I should look into it. But that um, one of the guys who was running the sound or the, I mean, the t the film had mm -hmm. hanged himself Ooh. during a thing. And, and everybody knew something had happened because his shadow went in front. Oh, that was the story. Now it's a good story, but yeah, what happened is a couple of us actually saw uh, one woman in particular. She was on the balcony watching our show. We were doing much ado about nothing, and uh, you could see a shadow swing in front of everything, oh. and there was no light source to have created it. And it went across all the curtains and everything. Oh my God. It's yeah. So great. And so a couple of people had seen other stuff like that, but she shouted from the balcony when it happened. That's a ghost. <laughs> I, really I will funny. say that's a ghost with some fucking style. That's right. Like that's some, that's some gothic shit right yes, there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Ooh. It got all of us, but that was, ooh. It got ghost reminds me of the haunted mansion when you're sitting there and they're like, mm -hmm. of course, there's always my way. And it like the, yeah. the ceiling becomes transparent just long enough to see someone like hanging in the belfry. It's, yes. like, it's such a great effect. Ooh. Yeah, oh. yeah. I love a good haunted theater. 
They're all haunted. Yeah. <laughs> They're all so haunted. So I love theater. I, that's just Sometimes there was a, there's a theater in downtown Dallas where Brandon has performed multiple times. And every time I go to see them, um, that theater is haunted as fuck. It's just a mm-hmm. sense I get. Uh, people have said it's haunted. I don't know. the. I'll have to look into it and see what the exact nature of the haunting oh, is. Yeah. But just sitting there, I'm like, I just get. And I'm not, I'm not nearly as sensitive as you are. Um, I, so I, not, I, for me, to, if you're for, around me, you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. You, you, you definitely signal boost my own abilities, but you're welcome. when I'm, uh, when I'm on my own, I usually don't pick up on stuff unless it's pretty strong. And that theater, every time I've gone into it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a, this place is fucking haunted. Like I can feel, mm-hmm. I can feel something here. It's non-specific, but it's strong. So I want to do some research on that. In fact, this particular theater, Jamie, just to throw it out there, this particular theater, I won't, I don't want to mention it by name. Um, is available to rent. <gasps> we should uh, we should rent we should it? scrape some money together and uh, have a little uh, haunted sleepover. I think that that is a great the idea. Mm. Um, yeah, you'll tell me all about what theater. It's a it is beautiful later. theater too. It's yeah. very old, yeah. so it makes sense it would be haunted. But it's and they've done a really good job pr- of preserving the look of that Ooh. theater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. It's kind of hidden too. It's not easy to find. Like a lot of people don't even know it's there. Do you think uh, they would allow the us to do a hundred candles in the theater? Probably not, because it's <laughs> a historic <fire>. site. <laughs> yeah, and they might theaters allow, have a tendency to catch on fire. They'd be like me, like we might allow one candle. Okay, um, right. we could just do the light. The we'll do the one lantern. battery yeah. candles. Yeah, yeah. You just, <laughs> while you blow it out, while you right. turn the button, Quick. click That's it perfect. off. Perfect. That's so perfect. funny. What's our What's our title today? By the Today's way, today's title, and we are starting our November stories for the month are going to be. Colleges, universities, haunted, haunted universities, universities. Um, all over the world, not just in the yeah, states. Yeah, not right? just in the states. So we'll we'll do eight of those, I guess. Um, so if you have a story, please send it. If you have a haunted story for our ghost calls and for our opening stories, please let us know. Get on that Discord. We this have one, and Pippin just some, happened uh, to send it in right when we were talking about it. About it's like fair. everything came together. It's like I guess we're supposed to do these. Um, <laughs> so today's title for episode fifty-seven is The Moment You Doubt. And that is from Peter Pan. The entire quote is, the moment you doubt whether you can fly, you cease forever to be able to do it. Mm. So I like that. So you got to believe you can fly. Yeah. Man, especially when you're studying for those tests. Yes. So are you starting? Uh, I'll start. What school are you? What school? Are I'm you doing? doing. I a school I knew very little about uh, going into this, but someone suggested it, and I was like, "I'll look into it." And on the, it on actually, the Discord. On the Discord, okay. yes. And I forget who suggested, so forgive me, but you'll know who you are, I'm sure. Uh, but I decided to go with uh, Winthrop University mm. in South Carolina. It's a lesser well, known school, Carolina, at least by so. me. Yeah, right. So I've uh, never heard of it. I, yeah, I hadn't either, but it's a historic site. And it's been around for since at least 1893. It's been in its current site since 18. Um, excuse me. It's been in its current site since 19 since 1893. But it was mm-hmm. uh, it was a little further north from there before. But we'll get into it. Okay. I love it because literally when I started googling online <laughs> to find stuff uh, to find it if it was haunted enough to to warrant uh, if there were enough substantiated claims of experiences there, um, I started looking online and. <laughs> And so the first thing that came up when I typed in the collection of words I used was an article by a student there that's literally titled, Our University is Haunted, It's Time We Accept It. <laughs> and I was like, color me Sold. intrigued. Uh, so let's talk about Winthrop. And Winthrop. I'm sure if you're from South Carolina, perhaps you pronounce it Winthrop. So I, I, I say Winthrop because I'm a pretentious ass with a with a um, 
mid-Atlantic accent, so forgive me. Whenever I tell people what you sound like, I say... <laughs> Are those the words you use? <laughs> I, no, I say... He's the kind of man that says Winthrop. No, but that's a good one. I might use that now. Uh, normally, I say he sounds like butter if butter was slightly pretentious. <laughs> he sounds like <laughs> butter if butter was trying to keep you out of the restaurant. <laughs> if butter was too good for <laughs> yeah. your ass. Yeah. <laughs> if butter didn't quite buy that you were the sausage king of Chicago. <laughs> oh, I love I, it. I affect this voice just so you know, boys and girls, because I can get away with saying all kinds of great things that just don't sound right coming out of my natural, or not my natural, it's not my natural voice anymore, but I'm from Texas, and there's just certain things you can't also, say in this voice that sound, I don't know if they I've don't ever... have the same weight, they just sound like a Coen Brothers film. That's very true. And it's not that we can't do it. No. I, I, just, have, choose, I, I just choose to, I also had speech impediment. Right. And I so I, say, I had the, the accent was kind of bred into me because it, it helped, um, it just, because I my speech therapist was very British. Yes. And so, so. I, it's very lucky that I don't speak like this all the time. Where are you from? Oh, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It was a little Stewie. I enjoyed that. I didn't mean go, I go Stewie when I'm making fun of myself. What does that say about us? <laughs> that you're hilarious. Hilarious. And probably right. going to get in trouble. Uh, maybe. Um, so, yes. on to Winthrop. Winthrop University. See, I just can't, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> founded in 1886 by the Peabody Education Board of Massachusetts, who shelled out a whopping $1,500 for the purpose. And for those of you that uh, want to know, that's a little over $40,000 in today's money. Still doesn't seem like a lot to start a university, mm -mm. but it was very small. The Winthrop Training School, named for the board's president, a guy, uh, Robert C. Winthrop, boasted an inaugural student body of... <gasps> 21 Ooh. eager young women that were there to learn how to be teachers. Ladies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, being teachers. Being That's teachers, yeah. So a pedagogy school, I guess, is what you'd call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you call it a pedagogy school. Try saying that in a Texas accent. This is pedagogy. school for teachers. School for teacher pedagogy. Uh, <laughs> now, originally located in Columbia, South Carolina, and focused solely on producing teachers, the Winthrop Training School uh, around the, toward the uh, the beginning of the 1890s, they kind of read the writing on the wall and were like, we need to kind of expand our curriculum to offer more vocational training other than just teaching because we need to stay afloat. Um, so there was just heavy competition. So under pressure for from that kind of environment, they, uh, they expanded their curriculum in 1893 and they decided to move to Rock Hill just two years later in 1895, which is where it is now, not uh, Rock Hill. Uh, uh, South Carolina. Okay. And now it has just a little over, it's still a relatively small school. There's still, there's still just about 6,000 some odd students there at any okay. given time. But it's a well-regarded school. It's highly accredited and it looks really cool. And uh, when it moved to Rock Hill in 1895, it was renamed the Winthrop Normal <laughs> Industrial College it's of normal. South Carolina. It's normal here. It's normal. It's not just for teachers. <laughs> I love it. Uh, several buildings on site qualify the college for a spot on the National Register of Historic Places, among them Tillman Hall, T-I-L-L-M-A-N. Uh, once the campus's brain center, Tillman Hall was erected in 1894, the three-story red brick structure designed in the, quote, Richardsonian Romanesque style, featuring a really cool looking clock tower yeah. uh, with an open belfry up top. I mean, it Ooh. just looks, it almost looks like the fucking Disney World Haunted Mansion right. uh, in a way. It's just, a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous building. And even better for our purposes, it has both an attic and a basement. Oh, <laughs> fuck both of those. Hashtag fuck the whole building. Uh, <laughs> 
it was renamed in 1962 for former governor and Democratic Senator Benjamin Tillman, uh, which I'm going to talk a little bit about. Yeah, it was kind of a questionable decision in retrospect because Tillman did not have a track record that I think is one to be proud of. And I don't mean to call the school for task for that. I mean, I know it's hard to rename a building and there's the whole question of, well, it's historic and he was historically a significant person, even though he wasn't a nice person. And his, his historical significance is one that we're embarrassed of now. But man, there's a... I guess there's a fine line between preserving history and celebrating bastards. Right. Um, don't celebrate bastards. Don't celebrate bastards. Uh, but I have some suggestions of how the, the building should be renamed. Oh, um, perfect. Benjamin Ryan Tillman was, among other things, a dyed-in-the-wool white supremacist, mm. fervently opposed to equal rights for Americans of color. During South Carolina's turbulent and very violent 1896, uh, excuse me, 1876 election, during which Democrats fought tooth and nail to dethrone the radical Republicans, whose reconstruction policies were a real hot-button issue at the time, especially right. for farmers. They, Tillman, he was a Dixiecrat. Mm-hmm. Tillman was, uh, led a pair of fucking military group known as the Red Shirts that were up to no good. He took to the Senate floor in defense of lynching, let wow. fly all manner of racist invective in his speeches, and even boasted of killing black people himself and proudly. And he was a wealthy landowner and had grown disgusted with Democratic leadership in the 1880s. Now, this was back when the Democratic Party was kind of the flip side, of very right. much the flip side of what it is now. Uh, it was very, very... Anti-civil rights. Um, very Much more conservative, much more fundamentalist, much more racist. Um, mm -hmm. And Tillman had grown disgusted with leadership in, the, in his own party then in the, by the 1880s. And so he saw it as having kind of no backbone to stand against the radical Republicans. So he led a reform movement consisting of white farmers, naturally enough, which did ultimately lead to the founding of an agricultural land-grant college, Clemson University, not far away. Clemson? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. See, they didn't call it Tillman. Right? Uh, <laughs> in 1890, he took control of the state Democratic Party and was elected governor. 18 black Americans were lynched in South Carolina during his tenure as governor. And in the 1890s, the state had its highest number of lynchings of any decade. And from the governor's office, Tillman paid lip service to the idea that lynching was wrong, but spoke in glowing support of lynch mobs elsewhere and on record, going so far as to say he'd lead one himself if it came to it. It's almost like if you if you promote uh, racist hate and anti, you know, if you if you hate certain kinds of people and are public about it, then those people will wind up getting attacked if you are in a position of power. That's weird. It's I don't almost like that might be huh. a you might consequence. be on you might be onto something there, Jamie. Actions. I don't know. I well well. <laughs> I, I know this is really shitty. I wish this weren't as relevant. I know. As it is, right? So in, uh. um, in 1894, at the end of his second two-year term, he was elected to the U.S. Senate by vote of the state legislators. Back in those days, the state legislator voted for the Senate, okay. uh, for Senate seats. Uh, it's no longer the case, thank God. Thank God. Tillman's yeah. aggressive language earned him the charming moniker Pitchfork Ben when he threatened to impale President Grover Cleveland on the end of one. Uh, local lore, though, has it that the nickname comes from Tillman losing an eye when an angry former slave chucked a pitchfork at him uh, at his face. I hope face. that's it. That's, that's the version I prefer. I like that one. Um, I'm, in our movie, it's that one. Right. Tillman fell from grace as a contender for the Democratic presidential nomination of 1896 following a catastrophic speech at the National Convention. His malicious oratory and 
poor opinion of African-Americans, to say the least, did not, however, eclipse his effectiveness as a legislator, at least in the minds of his constituents. Tillman was repeatedly reelected to the Senate, mm. serving until his death in 1918. Yikes. Though he's credited with pushing the first federal campaign finance law banning corporate contributions called the Tillman Act, the mm. greater part of his legacy was undoubtedly South Carolina's 1895 Constitution, which profoundly disenfranchised black Americans, not to mention poor white people, and ensured white Democratic Wasn't that Party it, rule. It's the pot. It's 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 disenfranchising all of the poverty stricken. So and mm -hmm. then telling white poverty people, aren't you glad you're not? Aren't you glad you're white? Right. Aren't right. you? Aren't you glad you're better? And then you get the poor. That's people what from different cultures to and fight each other, and then nobody realizes the people with all the money are it's in control. Been that way. It's like it's just a bunch of fucking assholes. <laughs> like the rich, have, you know, whatever two, three percent that go around stealing money from everyone and going, "Hey, look, that guy over there mm -hmm. did it." Eat the rich. Yeah, eat the rich. I'm fucking not saying eat, eat the, the rich. rich. But maybe get some, some. Maybe just take their fucking money. Balsamic um, vinegar. <laughs> test it out. But his, but that constitution, the 1895 Constitution of South Carolina, ensured the racist Democratic Party then, not now, yeah. uh, rule for more than six decades into the 20th century before the wow. party finally turned over and to be the more progressive one that is now. Mm -hmm. So I find the name Tillman Hall all the more troubling given that the building was constructed largely by African-American convicts under the watch of a savage overseer now only remembered as Mr. Clem. Uh, more on that fellow in a little bit. As you might imagine, the prisoners weren't treated well. In fact, they were often kept in stocks on site. Wow. You know what? That's what fighting the California flyer. Mm -hmm. It's the same shit. They're prisoners yeah. That, yeah. Are be that are going to fight the fire they're basically using slave labor. Well, and that's that's exactly that's it's exactly the point. You know, it, their their labor, um, these 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 guys, these convicts, that uh, all of them African Americans, incidentally, mm. uh, who built or largely uh, who built Tillman Hall. Uh, you know, there this was it was slavery, and even though slavery had been abolished as an institution in 1864 by the 13th Amendment. Um, that same amendment fucking gave it a new lease on life by a qualifier that allows involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. Meaning, mm -hmm. odds are, if you were of color, the law saw just about every fucking thing you did as a crime so they could put you to work for free. Right, so like, what are you saying? There were different standards? I, I know. We're, so I'm weird. making so many discoveries. I know. Um, again, I learning. wish this weren't so fucking relevant. Uh, re relevant? Relevant. Either way. Um, <laughs> fuck it. I can't even say it right. I'm so pissed off. But I digress. Um, fitting, though, perhaps. Turns that, out history is infuriating. Yeah, his, <laughs> the more we history, find out. History is not a nice thing. There's not. There hasn't been a happy it, ending yet. You know what it is? It's because um, the past, we did the witches last week, and then this week with this one, it's like, you're supposed to learn from history, and right now we're fucking repeating both of those things. So I'm re I'm rereading a lot of uh, the Nero Wolf novels, uh, their murder mysteries, and I just find mm. them delicious. And the character Nero Wolf and the the voice of the the character his his major domo a guy named Archie Goodwin um, is the one that's writing the story. So the told from his point of view, and his voice is great. Some mm -hmm. some critic compared him. He's like a he's like a cross between Sam Spade and Huckleberry Finn. Oh, and it's really funny. Like they're really funny nice. and delightful. But Nero Wolf is very wise, but very arrogant and very lazy and you know he's kind of mm -hmm. the he's sort of a, a send-up of the the intellectual because right. he just wants to sit on his ass and you know tend to his orchids and read books all day and it's only because archie's like get out there and do the job that keeps us in the black right and uh so <laughs> and there's a good quote that so people come to him and be like hey someone was murdered whatever and he had a great line 
um, I was sorry, this, I know, realize this is a very long walk for a very short drink of water. But uh, he says, he says, he he almost calls murder a tragedy, and he goes, no, 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 sorry, murder is melodrama. The events that induce it are the tragedy. Yeah, right. And I, that's, that's a really, yeah. that's just a good quote. I think that that's just really applies to history. Mm-hmm. Um, so fitting, perhaps, all that shit about Tillman Hall. Uh, it's fitting, perhaps, that film crews have found Tillman Hall a perfect locale for no less than two horror movies, 2008's Asylum and 1999's uh, sequel to Carrie uh, oh. are, were filmed, at least in part, there. It's also no wonder that the place has a reputation for being hounded as fuck. Right. Uh, though it must be said of Winthrop, many historic buildings, uh, of its many historic buildings, few, it seems, don't come with ghosts. Right. Some friendly, not some not so friendly. Uh, An article in the Winthrop Student newspaper strikes me as worth quoting at length. Um, Quote, the beloved school being spooked by spirits of faculty and students past isn't simply an urban legend, but cold hard fact, writes student journalist Victoria Howard. The evidence that the university is haunted piles up as soon as you begin to look into it. The university itself alludes to a belief in these stories, playing them up every year around Halloween with different spooky events, including haunted tours of Tillman Hall. Uh, let me cut in here for that little quote to say that I've scoped uh, a few walkthroughs of, haunt- of the haunted tours of Tillman Hall online on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of fun because it's clear the university takes a rather, let us say, an eccentric view of its otherworldly residents, that, uh, kind of a view that manages to be both whimsically reverent and like, hilariously tongue-in-cheek at the same time. Because right, yeah. the students will dress up as like Tillman and like the various ghosts and like hang out. And because the, as we'll learn, the fourth floor of Tillman Hall, which is one of the most haunted spots of mm-hmm. it, is off limits now to student traffic because the it's structurally it's not sound oh, enough to right. take a lot of people. So there's just a few offices and mostly storage up there now. Right. And it's only staff usually and occasionally a student that's, a you know, the skin permit can go up there. But during Halloween, they open it up and like they'll have you know students up there playing ghosts, but they don't come out to scare you. They're not like, boo. They're just kind of standing there. They're you know in there and they'll <laughs> they give stay a little, on the edges so they, they don't stand, fall in the middle. Yeah, of the floor. <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> stay but, on the edges. But it's really kind of cute. Like I will say, it's not. I don't find it from what I've seen. It's not very scary. But they're just. It's more of a history lesson than anything else. Yeah. But it's like the person giving you the history is like painted and you know to look dead and and right. you know the, there's like there's a woman in white. Um, I don't want to say bitch and white because it's actually a person that right, <laughs> is not dead. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Victoria Howard goes on an article. Overwhelmingly, students believe that Tillman Hall, Margaret Nance, and the Little Chapel are the eternal home to several restless spirits. Margaret Nance, who was, uh, I believe, a teacher there for a long time. I couldn't find very much on Margaret Nance except that she was she was tied to the university. Uh, very much. She's a woman who did things. You're not going to. Yeah. Oh, and so they named this. So they named this dormitory after her. <laughs> <laughs> she was a woman doing stuff. Who? Um, uh, but Margaret, the the Margaret Nance house has been home to thousands of young women over the past 123 years. Many students have had interactions with past students who have died, mm. leaving their energy in the old home. Uh, according to one student that Victoria interviewed, uh, she says. Um, I felt the energy of a ghost uh, that has to be Margaret Nance quite a few times. She likes to hide in a specific area of the building, one of the stairwells to be exact. I've heard people talk about possession, but she's in a demon, so she can't possess anybody, says uh, 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 Yogi Patel, a sophomore business major. The little chapel is said to be haunted by the first president of the university and his wife, May. The first president's name was David Bancroft Johnson, and we'll have a little more to say about him in a bit. Okay. He seems like a nice enough guy. Uh, They're buried there. Oh. In, in the chapel, which I 
think is kind hmm. of charming. Their spirits are said to roam the campus, and um, they're supposed apparently very friendly and oh, just like now. But nice. of the two spirits, uh, the wife my seems to be more active. Like they yeah. they can kind of feel you know students that are that consider themselves sensitive. Uh, one of them being an education major by the name of Autumn Hawkins, who's interviewed in this article. Um, says that that she's kind of sensed Maya a lot. Maya is a little more little more active, a little mm. more likes to be like, "Hey girls, hi, how you doing? You studying?" <laughs> <laughs> kind what of thing. Doing? And uh, and it goes. She loves it when people come to sit on the rocks near the chapel, which was apparently one of her little favorite spots to kind of sit and compose her thoughts. Uh, she loves hearing the students talk about the school. I've seen her in the window, says Hawkins, uh, at the top of the chapel. And uh, other haunted buildings on campus received many reports of experiences. The most famous is Tolman Hall. When the building was first erected, the crew began bringing in labor from men who were in prison due to budget cuts. Of course, that's this is all, mm -hmm. again, this is still coming from Victoria Howard's article. Uh, the stocks that these prisoners were held in are still in place in the basement of Tillman, and many faculty members who work in the building have reported hearing their cries for help. Mm. The fact that this is such a well-known haunting is used by the university in the yearly ghost tours. Uh, Winthrop is surely haunted by the spirits of students and faculty. Most of these spirits do not seem to be angry, and in many cases seem to enjoy uh, keeping up with student life, and sometimes will play pranks on the students just to keep things spicy. <laughs> <laughs> it is time uh, that students accept, says Howard, uh, that other members of the community, uh, that they are other members of the community are no longer scared by the, wait, no, sorry, let me quote again. It is time, she says, <laughs> that students accept the other members of the community and are no longer scared by them, but see them as the friendly spirits they are. It's college, baby. I love it, right? Victoria's article aptly named Winthrop is Haunted, It's Time We Accept It, is far <laughs> from the only op-ed piece inspired by the college's ghostly goings-on. Director of the Great Falls County Library and Winthrop alumnus Tally Johnson was so moved by his hair-raising experience as a graduate student there in the late 90s, he wrote a book on the subject. Actually, mm. several books. Hmm. Trudging down to the Tillman Hall basement to pick up the campus mail one morning, Johnson was startled to see a tall, muscular black man striding purposefully down the corridor ahead of him. The man was, Johnson says, easily six foot six, scandalously shirtless, and carrying a brace of lumber over one shoulder. Off-put by what he assumed was a brazen dress code violation, Johnson, proud upperclassman that he was, prepared to raise his voice at the stranger, but before a single admonitory word left Johnson's throat, the rippling half-naked behemoth turned sharply to the left and vanished into a brick fucking wall. Ah! Um, what I'm guessing I saw, he relates, was one of the convicts who died during construction. Tally, Johnson, uh, Tally Johnson's books, Ghosts of South Carolina Upcountry and Ghosts of South Carolina Midlands, have since become staples in local shops and are available online, I'm happy to say. Now, just four flights up from the site of Johnson's sobering encounter, the foul-tempered overseer of these exploited convicts, Mr. Klim, is rumored to keep a baleful eye on the campus from a suite of rooms so time-worn now they're off-limits to students for safety reasons and relegated largely to storage. Colleagues of Kelly Morrison, now deceased, recall the staffer's brush with Mr. Clem while on the clock. Morrison apparently ventured up one afternoon to stow several props used in the annual fundraising student phonathon. Alone, she caught a glimpse of what looked to be a man's shadow out of the corner of her eye and looked up to see a large, half-lit figure scowling at her from the opposite end of the room. Ooh. The figure wore Clem's trademark wide-brimmed Panama hat. Oh. To this day, heavy disembodied footsteps, sharp whispers, and a general feeling of unease are common occurrences for those who find themselves on the fourth floor after hours. But it's not all menacing. 
Administrator Talia White and a colleague made an unusual discovery one evening while clearing out a fourth floor office, uh, returning to scan what ought to have been a completely bare room after hauling out the last piece of furniture, White noticed a card lying conspicuously in the center of the carpet. Reaching down to pick it up, certain she hadn't seen it there before, White noted the front was an old watercolor print of Tillman Hall. She held, in fact, a lost Christmas card from David Bancroft Johnson, the university's <gasps> founding president, who died in 1928. No coincidence, perhaps, that the room in question had been the campus's post office in Johnson's day. Oh, that's cool. And as with any highly trafficked haunt, trafficked by the living, I mean. Yeah. The game of telephone, inevitably pay, played by generations of students and faculty, has given rise to a number of unsubstantiated legend over the years, like the one of Tillman being uh, uh, having only one eye because of the, being named Pitchfork because of an angry uh, former slave stabbing uh, him in the eye. Doesn't seem to be true. Uh -uh, um, it's true in our movie. That's I wish it were in our us. movie. It's fucking true. Um, uh, but if you sift through the wealth of hearsay, and uh, eventually you come to a reasonably solid, if small, collection of stories from credible witnesses whose experiences on the 123-year-old campus bear the hallmarks of being genuine. And it's kind of nice to see the college take it seriously because they, yeah. they play it up. And a wow. lot of students continue having experiences. And it seems of, of all the colleges, I mean, might, we'll do more, of course, as we go forward with this this you know, November of colleges, but it seems kind of charming how acclimated the students are to the idea that, yeah, we, this is a haunted school. Of course it, it is. is. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, and living that close to history too, because like these buildings, most of the buildings on campus are as old as the college, yeah. or at least as old as, you know, uh, 1893 when it moved to Rock Hill. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the time that, you know, you and I were in Ireland and mm -hmm. we went to Cork University and there, there's modern part, there are modern buildings, but for mm -hmm. the most part, it looks like Hogwarts. Uh, it looks like Hogwarts. I mean, there are buildings there that are hundreds of years old, and the mm -hmm. students just walk through them like you and I walk through the Walgreens. I mean, it's like, yeah. can you imagine? And living that close to history has to, I think, acclimate you yeah. to the idea. That's just what it you is. Know, and yeah. it, has to, it has to make the ghosts feel pretty good. They're like, oh, it was nice to see that We're the place, uh, yeah. places still happen. Yeah, right? <laughs> so the Especially ghosts at least aren't lonely. That's good. I will say that. So that is... Uh, oh, and I... I don't know. I, what are some suggestions if they want if they want to rename Tillman Hall? Oh yeah. <laughs> maybe they rename it for his wife. Yeah. I didn't find her name. But or what about the wife, wife of the or, just, uh, or, of the uh, the one that's still there? That yeah, my 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 Bancroft. Yeah. That yeah. might that be good. Call it the Bancroft Building. Yeah. Um. But yeah, apparently Tillman had a a hand in the construction of the building. And that's so why. he was there, and so that's why. And I guess, and it is difficult once something is on the historic register. I guess of places, I guess you there must be some kind of weird legal red yeah. tape you have to go through to change the name. But it's like even in 1962 when they actually named it that. It's a little Ooh, past the point. Of, a, but I think it was probably a statement on it, civil rights. You know, so. you're probably not wrong. That's probably. But right. hopefully one day they'll but if they they'll, can they'll own change it. it own it and they do they do own it i will say they then, they don't they by no means is is the the man it's named after is he lauded as a hero like, yeah yeah the college is like that's what he is but and this is how we change things and this is how we make the world a better place and it's a good school it's a good school it gets it's gets really high marks and it's a beautiful campus the students seem to be really happy and very proud alumni and it's yeah seems like a cool place i'd like to visit sometime yeah me too i um 
I will be mo- we will be moving just a little, I believe a little further north. Oh, okay. For my story. Yeah, where are we where are you taking us? We're going to William and Mary. <gasps> oh. So before we do that, um, it is Halloween, so I am cooking stew. Stew. And I have to put the potatoes in. The house smells heavenly. Yeah. Ironically. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Uh, so I'm going to go, let's do that and get a drink, and then yeah. we'll come back. Okay? Sweet. All right. And oh. we're back. We are back. Freshly. I just invented a new I drink. I know. I was going to say. I decided Tell in the spirit him. of Halloween, we were out of the stuff to make proper the mules spirit. with. spirit. <laughs> I didn't even mean to make that fun. I know. We make it regularly. And naturally. It was um, thanks to Jack. He got us a... Uh, it's like a mint julep a mint liqueur. Julep liqueur, yeah. And uh, this was not the cocktail, but I was like, well, what can we mix this with? And uh, we found that that mint julep liqueur with a little bit of orange, blood orange. Blood orange ginger beer. Uh, ginger beer. One of them worked so far. And yeah. by one, I mean a one sip. Really good. So we're calling it the, the harvest moon julep. Yes. Right? Is that what the name? Or Harvest Julep. Harvest Julep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a better name. Mm. And it's real good. Oh, cheers. <sighs> oh, yeah, cheers. Oh, they're not the... They're not. Sorry. We just went with... We, everything was dirty. It didn't we... clink very good. Let's begin. There we go. Oh. This, this is glass. I don't know why it sounded like glass. It's thick glass. These are mm. these little little rocks glasses. That's true. Mm. It's a little one. It's good, though. Thank you. Didn't want to... Didn't want to waste the... Didn't want to waste the copper cups on something that wasn't a mule. Well, we didn't know if it was going to be delicious or not. That's true. So... All right. All right. So, so you're doing what college? The College of William and Mary. All right. Okay. All right. I'm familiar, passingly. Passingly familiar. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So I got my information from Wikipedia, katetaylorathetab.com, Old Haunts, an article on WMEDU, um, which is William and Mary's web uh, website. Uh-huh. But I didn't know who wrote it. I couldn't find it. But the article's called Old Haunts. And a few more that I will mention as we go. This is a big one. Oh, uh, William and Mary is old as fuck. That is historically accurate, and uh, and that's all you, you need to know. It's it, there's a lot of history here. So, if you went to William and Mary, if you love the history of William and Mary, I am not going to go into detail about every little thing. So please don't get upset with me. We only have an hour and a half, two hours. We do not have six years. So I, there's a lot of history. There's a lot. Okay. Yeah. So to start with, <laughs> it was founded in 1693 by the royal charter of King William III and Queen Mary II of England. Oh, uh, that's how I got the name. Yeah, that's right. William Mary is the second oldest institution of higher learning in the United States. Hmm. First is? What is the first? Is first uh, uh, St. John's? Nope. No? Harvard. S- Oh, Harvard. Harvard. Okay, of course, of course. Yes, we know because we are totally Ivy League people. Oh. Uh, we can sound like it, <laughs> at least. I could, pl- I could convincingly play an Ivy League right. on television. Yeah. That's about um, it. But my parents can't buy me a place there, so well, I can go. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Fuck you, Harvard. Uh, the establishment of graduate programs in law and medicine. Okay, let me say that again. They, they established graduate programs in law and medicine in 1779, making it one of the earliest higher level universities in the United States as well. Wow. So it had a graduate as well as undergraduate first ones okay. one of the college principals one of the college's principal halls the Christopher sir christopher wren building is the oh. oldest we'll get into it hold your hold sorry your, I just, calm I, down yes yeah, sir my nipples calm just down. got hard i know calm down <laughs> i'm like oh oh architecture i know christopher wren. fuck no. this will make sense later to everyone oh. uh i forgot i wouldn't have written it up there i, I, I meant to take it all out until we got sorry, to that sorry sorry i'll put my clothes back on <laughs> 
uh, it that the Sir Christopher Wren building is the oldest college building still in use in America. Mm. The list of patriots who studied at William and Mary is long and distinguished and includes three American presidents, Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, and John Tyler. 16 members of the Continental Congress, four signers of the Declaration of Independence, four justices of the Supreme Court of the United States, including John Marshall, and many members of Congress, cabinet members, and diplomats. Additionally, George Washington received his surveyor license from the college, and after his presidency, he served as the college's chancellor. Wow. It's got a little bit of so it's pedigree a, there. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bullshit school. That's right. It's, it's also... Not, uh, it's not an online college. Yeah, right? Um, it's not online. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's right. It might be online now. I don't know. Probably not. Um, it's got a bunch of firsts, too. It was the first law school in America, the United wow. States' first honor system, as well as first fraternity. It was Phi Beta Kappa, by the way. We'll yeah. get into some yeah. more of that. Yeah. And when the faculties of law, medicine, and the arts were combined, then it became the first true university in the United States. In 1918, huh. William and Mary became one of the first universities in Virginia to admit women and became co-educational. Ah. So mine is mostly dealing with boys and yours was mostly dealing with girls. Yeah, that's true. Long story short, the school is old as fuck. It is older than the United States. William and Mary was already almost 80 years old in 1776. And Damn. a lot of shit went down back there, y'all. First of all, I can fucking imagine. It's Virginia. Let's talk, let's talk about that. <coughs> You've got the fighting with the Native Americans in the area in the 16, 1620s, or if you are a Native American, the fighting with all the horrible white people in the 1620s. <laughs> right. Jamestown massacre. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Jamestown, Yorktown, Yorktown, mm -hmm. and uh, and Williamsburg are all this like trifecta of colonial history. Yeah. And so Jamestown was where Native Americans came in, killed a bunch of people. Probably, I don't want to get way into it. Um, this is the Pocahontas era, but the unromanticized version. Mm. They were blamed mm. for a lot of stuff. It was really severe. Loads of white folks died, and it only gave the white folks an excuse to really start going after the natives. Oof. It was really bad. A lot of people died in the area. Oof. It was really bad. Gross. Then you have the Brafferton School, which was created in the college in 1700 to civilize Native Americans as well. Oh. Basically, or 1770, I think, sorry. Uh, it, it, uh, it, basically, they wanted to Christianize them and teach them how to read. The school was not great at converting, but it did help educate a lot of, of interpreters. So that's fun. Hmm. It was known as the Indian School, and it was not fondly regarded by the Native Americans, obviously. Imagine that. In fact, the first six students enrolled were children who had been captured from neighboring tribes. Ugh. So they were like, here, Pohatan, I think is what they're called. Uh, we want, you have to send us some people. And they were like, have these people we captured from another tribe. So God. most of the students ended up being children like that had been the hostages captured. Hostages of hostages, yes. other yeah, Native exactly. American tribes. God yes. damn. So by 1779, the school had promised, I guess it was 1700. I don't know. I guess it was. For some reason, I thought it was only open like nine years, but I guess it was 1700. Um, by 1779, the school had permanently closed, although the Brafferton, as it is known now, remains a landmark building on the campus. Hmm. Then you have the War for Independence. So students mm. at the school were organized into a local militia. The school was shut down for a few months in 1781 when Lord Cornwallis, which is the most ridiculous name. <laughs> may, I don't know why. I just sounds silly to me. Cornwallis. Cornwallis. Uh, this guy named Wallace made of corn. 
Right? It's like Mr. Peanut, but it's a corn cob. Right. That sounds like a character that would be in, in, uh, let's see, what, what's the show? Uh, Adventure Time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. So anyway, 1781, Lord Cornwallis made the president of the school's house his headquarters. Of course, on October 19th of that year, Cornwallis surrendered to Washington at Yorktown. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. basically, it was still another year of fighting, but basically became at the end of the yeah. Revolutionary War. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fucking history. Now, this is not to say that William and Mary isn't all up in England's ass, though. They oh, well. love their English roots. It started with, I mean, you know. It's the name. It's very, in the name. Very pr- it's in the name. It's still in the name. They have not changed it, mm. of course. Uh, they're very proud of that historical connection. In fact, Queen Elizabeth II has visited the school twice. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Okay, so after the Revolution... We move on into the antebellum era, which lasts up until the Civil War. Antebellum, as we know, is often romanticized. uh, Especially if you live in the South. Right. Uh, You just know that all the fancy plantations were built by slaves. And for people who, you know, those could not have existed without owning other people, basically. So, (laughs) I mean, who couldn't be rich if you didn't have to pay the people that got you there? Right. In Beyond the History Books, Stephanie Krauss states, from its founding in 1693 to the outbreak of the Civil War, the college owned, hired out, and rented slaves. Professors such as Thomas Roderick Dew, who was the president of William William and Mary from 1836 to 1846, as well as Henry A. Washington, argued that slavery, slavery, this julep is really working. Uh, <laughs> argued that slavery was a benevolent institution serving a greater moral good. Hmm. And we got that theme. Professors and students' well. paternalistic defenses of slavery in the antebellum period left an important impact on racial stru- struggles at the College of William and Mary. Hmm. Now... To credit, to the credit of the university, in 2009, the Board of Visitors acknowledged that the university had owned and exploited slave labor from its founding until the Civil War era, and that it had failed to take a stand against segregation during the Jim Crow era. Hmm. It took them until 2009, but they finally said it. Then there's a story, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Lemon Project was started. It was founded, uh, it's the Lemon Project, A Journey of Reconciliation, which is a multifaceted and dynamic attempt to rectify wrongs perpetrated against African-Americans by William and Mary through action or inaction. Hmm. Funded by the Office of the Provost in 2011, the Lemon Project hosts an annual symposium on the past experiences of African-Americans in and around the College of William and Mary so as to provide an, a usable past for our future. AKA learning huh. from the fucking history. God Go figure. Yeah. So Lemon <sighs> for the Lemon Project is the name of a slave owned by the college. Oh. So okay. that's what that yeah. Well that's what a hopeful turn of events. I know, so, I know. That's well good on them. Yes, yes. I hope they do more than just pay lip service to the idea. It and actually, seems like they are good, doing that. Good. Um, good. Yes. So in eighteen fifty nine, a great fire caused destruction to the college. The alumni house is one of uh, one of only several original antebellum structures remaining on campus. Notable others include the Wren Building, the President's House, and the Brafferton. Hmm. So, during the Civil War, the college was closed in 1861 for the duration of the war because there was no one to go to school. Everybody was oh, fighting yeah, in the war. Everyone was fighting, sure. Yeah. The college building was used as a Confederate barracks and later oh. as a hospital, first by Confederate and then Union forces. 
The Battle of Williamsburg was fought nearby on May 5th, 1862, and the city fell to the Union the next day. The Brafferton building of the college was used for a time as quarters for the commanding officer of the Union garrison occupying the town. On September 9th of 1862, drunken soldiers of the 5th Pennsylvania Cavalry set fire to the college building, purportedly in an attempt to prevent Confederate snipers from using it for cover. Mm. I think, to me, it just sounds like they got drunk, accidentally set it on fire, or were just being stupid and set it on fire, and then we're like, fuck, uh, we totally did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we are young and stupid. I'm so sorry. Don't tell mom. Uh, so again, it was closed in 1861. It was reopened in 1869, only to close again in 1881 due to lack of funds. It had been funded by the school's 16th president, Bunj- Benjamin Stoddart Ewell, E-W-E-L-L, Ewell. I think so. Yeah. I think that sounds about um, right. But you know, people eventually run out of money. Benjamin Stoddart Ewell, Ewell uh, he used his own funds to start the school again. And he had tried to get reparations to reopen the school from Congress, but they kept putting him off over and over again. And so it is legend that every single morning of the long seven-year period between the college's closure in 1881 and reopening of 1888, President Ewell would arise and ring the bell calling students to class so it could never be said that William and Mary had abandoned its mission to educate the young men of Virginia. Hmm. Isn't that nice? That's it's that's nice. Even I if it's like not that. true, apparently this he this guy really, really wanted the school to continue, and, and because of him it did. Wow. Eventually, I like that. in 1894, they got the money from Congress to help with uh, the reparations and everything like that. Um but Benjamin Ewell remained in Williamsburg as the president emeritus of the college until his death in 1894. He was like 80-something. Wow. So, yeah. Ewell is interred in the College of William and Mary Cemetery in Williamsburg. Hmm. All right. So let's talk about the Rand Building. Oh, yes, yes, please. Are you ready? I'm so ready for this. So it's not the original name of the building, to be clear. It's sometimes described as the oldest educational building in continuous use in the United States, like we said yeah. before. Um, although it stopped serving its original function. So it's always been in use, but just not for maybe what it was first used for. Okay. That's the re- not uncommon in the life no. of a really old building. It's yeah. going to change, you know, what it does multiple times. But yes. the fact that it's still used at all right. is pretty amazing. Uh, the Wren Building was known in colonial times as the college because in the early years of the institution, the entire College of William & Mary consisted solely of that one building. <laughs> Inside, all students, only dudes, again, Lived, ate, studied, worshipped, and learned. Or learnt. Learnt. At the time. <laughs> um, learnt. So the original Wren building burnt down a few years after being built. And the current version is based on the design of its 1716 replacement. Okay. So, you know, you think about how old these areas are and how old this is. So this was built in the 1600s. Rebuilt in 1716. For the United States, that's really fucking old. That's older than especially, the country. Yes, especially if you are west of the Mississippi. Yeah. That is so old. We Oof. don't, I mean, we have the history, but we don't have the written history. Well, right? exactly. Because, so yeah. this is, this is, it's fascinating to hear of things that are this old uh, if you live in the West. So, yeah, because there's nothing, <clears throat> there's nothing comparable to it. Like when you go places in yeah. uh, Europe, you know, everywhere there's like, oh, down the street from, you know, where I live is there's a castle that's been there since like the fucking right. 14th century. Yeah. And and that's just a common thing. And here it's you just don't run into we things that, run that old. It. And it's not just because 
we're a younger country on the world stage, it's also because like for the longest time, we just didn't have the same affinity for history. So things right. got bulldozed and built over. Yes, so absolutely. very little was preserved until the country began to mature into a sense of like, well, we want to maybe remember where we were, where we right. were, you know, I well, think you have to be an older country to start caring about your history. Uh, yeah. And there's also the, the native aspect is that that was a very rich history mm -hmm. far before white yeah. folk. And in. we destroyed it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you had nomadic tribes too, so it's not mm -hmm. like they set mm -hmm. up, you know, camp, but there's this really cool um, site in New Mexico. I can't remember what it's called. The Gila Cliff dwellings. Oh my God, they're so fucking cool. Where just it was. A... Was it uh, Bandelier? Is that where it is? No, my... Bandelier's another site. Uh, I don't know, but it's like it's all Indians. these. It's like built into the side of the, um, this like mount. It's built into the side of the mountain, and you can crawl up in and out of it. It's oh, really cool. That's so cool. There's something. If it's not the same place, there's a place in Bandelier which used to be the. Um, there's uh, cliff dwellings so there's yeah. like these these caves that were like carved out naturally and they yes. and the anasazi native americans used them as li living dwellings and you can still go up there they have like ladders and stuff so you can go up there and i've been there and some weird shit happened while i was I there bet. i'll tell you sometime oh yeah you but anyway sorry but okay, i, so I we didn't digress. mean to make um detour okay what i know i was in there's 17 okay it was renovated in 1931 and then renamed after the English architect, Sir Christopher, Christopher Wren. Wren. I wrote, Michael, this is for you. He was also a sexy beast, that Christopher Wren. Wren is one of the most highly acclaimed English architects in history. Mm -hmm. The original Wren building was modeled after Wren's architecture. <clears throat> he gets credit for writing it or for designing it, but I think they took the design and added something else to it. But he, it was inspired by him. Hmm. Little is known about that building since it's burnt since it burned a few years after being built, but they found some papers that talked about it was built after him. For those who don't know, Michael, of course, knows. Wren was responsible for rebuilding 52 churches in the city of London after the Great Fire in uh -huh. 1666, including St. <laughs> Paul's Cathedral. Yep. Other notable buildings by Wren include the Royal Navy College in Greenwich and the South Front of Hampton Court Palace. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, oh, it's connected. It's so connected. Yes. Uh, oh. For those who don't know, Michael did a, a, a one of our episodes. He did Hampton Court Palace, and it's fascinating. Well, because the way it was built was really interesting because yes. the, it was just a, the product of a lot of different architectural ideas of like mm -hmm. Ren having to like explain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we, this is not going to work because this is not fucking yes. Italy. Right. Um, and for Wren, it's W-R-E-N, just yes. so people. Like the bird. Yeah. yeah. The bird. Sexy motherfucker. I shall mm -hmm. do. He had an interesting life himself. I shall have mm -hmm. to do something about him one day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there are two other buildings, much like the the three the three towns, the, tr the triangle. Mm -hmm. There are two other buildings around the Wren building that complete that triangle known as Ancient Campus. The Brafferton, which remember was right. the, the Indian school. It was built in 1723. So I guess it did start in 1700 and then they built the college for it. And the right. president's house built in 1732. Okay. So old buildings, that's the ancient Got side it. of the school. Gotcha. One more bit of history mm -hmm. before I get into the ghost stories because we can't not talk about the secret societies. Oh, I mean, not. come on, you guys. Like, so the College you're of Williams. supposed to talk about that. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, we'll get into it. Okay, so the College of William and Mary is home to the nation's first academic secret society, the Flat Hat Club. 
The Flat Hat Club. The Flat Hat Club. Although the pressures of the American Civil War forced many societies to disappear, including the Flat Hat Club, Club Flat, it's hard to say, FHC. <laughs> I don't know what you just said. Flat Hat Club. The Frat Pack. FHC. Most of those societies were revived during the 20th century. Some other secret societies known to currently exist at the college are <gasps> Seven Society, also known as the Order of the Crown and Dagger, Wren Ooh. Society, Bishop James Madison Society, <laughs> Alpha Club, The Society, 13 Club, The Spades, and W Society. In fact, Phi Beta Kappa was started as a secret society of oh. nerds. <laughs> yes. It was a secret literary and philosophical society. Oh, my, my, my people. I've decided you my were at people. this school in a past life. I must have I wrote been. it. Michael, you were at a school in a this school in a past life, <laughs> and I refuse to believe otherwise. That's what it says right there. <laughs> So I thought we could dive into the secret societies that we know of for just a few minutes okay. because William & Mary has everything. It really does. It's like a Netflix series. I know. I know. So the Flat Hat Club. <laughs> you, the, I said it. You over enunciating it's giving me life. Good. The FHC. FHC? Founded in 1750, this is the first recorded secret society in America. Mm. So it's not that secret. Thomas Jefferson <laughs> was a member when he was in college there. The FHNC basically stand for Latin versions of brotherhood, brotherhood, humanity, and knowledge. There are two different Latin versions assumed to be what they mean, but I'm not going to read them because I don't want to. I can't, <laughs> I can't fucking pronounce it. I'm not working on that shit. <laughs> if somebody speaks Latin, they already know what they are. And if you don't speak Latin, you're not going to fucking remember it. So we're fine. It's a dead language. Who's going to criticize? That's right. Oh, God, the ghosts. <laughs> it remains an all-male society consisting of 12 undergraduate men and one alumnus in Urbe. In recent years, <laughs> an additional six members were added. Most of its activities remain comparatively secret within the university. Upon graduation from William & Mary, members received medals of distinction showing their membership. Contrary to the practice of some similar societies, alumni may disclose their membership after graduation. Hmm. The Seven Society, Order of the Crown and Dogger, Dagger, Dogger, whatever, colloquially known as the Seven Society or Seven Sevens. It is the longest continually active secret society of the College of William and Mary. The clandestine yet altruistic group is said to consist of seven senior individuals selected in their junior year. While historically graduating members formally announce their identities each spring, today's membership is steeped in mystery and is only revealed upon a member's death Ooh. now rumored to meet late at night in colonial williamsburg's shield tavern present day sevens are perhaps most noted for their efforts to honor and encourage those who help strengthen the university hmm. unexpected hmm. through its endowment association <laughs> the society pursues major philanthropic projects such as scholarships and anonymous donations to the college Sevens have been okay. known to, I know, sevens have been known to mysteriously leave small gifts and tokens of appreciation for unsuspecting groups and individuals. For example, in 2003, an admissions counselor discovered two dozen golf umbrellas, each adorned with a seven symbol, after casually mentioning how helpful they'd been during rainy campus tours. Huh. The Wren Society. Oh. It was originally oh. formed in 1832 to honor the 200th birthday of Sir Christopher Wren. After falling out during the Civil War, like the FHC, the Wren Society was restored in the 20th century. It's super secret, 
meets on the grounds of the original college under the cover of night, and also likes to honor students and organizations of the college who have gone above and beyond to make the shared William and Mary community, William and, and <laughs> William and Mary community better, <laughs> stronger, and more vibrant. Because secret societies are all apparently nerds. Well, you didn't know that? Last one. Okay. The Bishop James Madison Society. Okay. It was founded in 1812 in honor of the eighth president of William and Mary and cousins to the president, James Madison. James Madison's James Madison's cousin. Hmm. Got it? Because James... I is, don't know. I never saw them in the room together. Did you? I think they're the same person. It's, I've, it's They may never exist. Hiding in plain sight. James is such a unique name. People like to use it all the time. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jamie, and I was named after my grandfather, James. <laughs> it's very original. Uh, it means supplanter. Uh, That's what my, name my brother's name is Jean-Luc. Uh, so, what the fuck? I just made that connection. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie... And Jean-Luc. Anyway, James, very original. Uh, the Bishop James Madison Society's graduating members identify their involvement by wearing medals featuring the society symbol during the college's annual commencement exercises. They also meet in secret and plan things like placing a welcome banner on old campus to welcome new students and families. Insidious. As well as hiding plastic Easter eggs filled with candy and interesting facts about the college throughout the campus. Ugh. They are Meanwhile, the, at the Legion of Doom. That's right. They are the craftiest of all the societies <laughs> because they really love crafts. <laughs> now that we've gotten through the riveting section of secret societies. <laughs> Not what I expected. I know. Let's get to the hauntings. The Wren Building. Of course it's fucking haunted. I mean, obviously. Of course it's fucking haunted. It's the oldest building connected to Hampton Court, hospital during the Civil War. It's got all the histories needed for a haunting and then some. The perfect recipe for haunt. But steps are heard pretty regularly. Students have also claimed to see a soldier roaming, roaming on the third floor of Wren by a room where a soldier died from war injuries during the Revolutionary War. Wow. So I'm sure there are Civil War soldiers around there, too, because they're everywhere. Um, right. PBK Hall. That's the So the ghost story of Phi Beta Kappa Memorial Hall starts when a girl who was going to be the lead in a play died while visiting home. One night, when the new lead of the play was practicing alone, she saw the dress she was supposed to wear for the show sitting upright in one of the audience's seats. Oh, creepy. Yeah, very creepy. Tucker Hall. Tucker Hall's a big one, and we'll get into that a little more in a little bit. But this is home to one of the most well-known stories at William & Mary. Supposedly, in the 1980s, a girl hanged herself in the third floor bathroom while studying. It's said that her ghost will visit students who are pulling all-nighters in Tucker and ask them how their exams are going. If they say they are going well, she'll scream and throw a fit until the student leaves. God. So I imagine a lot of people who are asked by an, a young, like a woman, how are your exams going? They're just like, it's none of your business! <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to study, goddammit! The President's House. The President's House is in the Brafferton Building. Mm. You know, the one that was built at the Indian School. We've gone over it a couple times. Two main floors cut the building in half, where the rooms of various sizes further divide it. Two smaller rooms that would have housed the Indian master flank a large classroom on the first floor. The Indian boys, Indian boys who attended the school would have slept upstairs in dorm rooms and would have eaten their meals in the Wren building with the other students as they slowly became assimilated into the new Western culture. Hmm. I guess it would have been Eastern culture for them. Yeah. 
European culture. There you go. Um, <laughs> the legends vary. <laughs> Some say the boys would try to escape at night, but would always be caught and brought back. Others say that the boys would run through the sunken gardens at night to feel at one with nature. Aww. I like to think. That's heartbreaking. I know. I like to think there was at least one werewolf. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, can't you just imagine a little gardens. boy werewolf running through the gardens? I can. I love it. Be free. Yeah. Be free. Um, the ghost that haunts the Brafferton is a small Indian boy playing his tom-tom drum and running around the sunken garden. Visiting professors and students claim to hear the footsteps at night to see shadows of a boy and sometimes several boys running across the sunken garden on foggy nights. Aww. Other stories like about the Lost Boys. The, I know. Other stories about the president's house go back to a fire there in the 18th century. It was believed that everyone made it out alive, but soon afterwards, children would report feeling a comforting presence in the building. It is believed that this presence was that of a man who died in the fire who missed his children. Aww. But if they knew everybody lived, who knows? Maybe he scooched over there from another building. A final Maybe. legend in the president's house is that of a closet door that would never stay closed. No matter what they tried, the door would remain open even after using furniture to block it. While doing renovations, they found the skeleton of a young, unidentified girl in the closet. Oh. After giving her a bur burial, the door remained closed. Hmm. Or they did renovations and fixed the door. I don't know. <laughs> but they buried the skeleton, at least. Barrett Hall. Barrett Hall. Hashtag up an attic oh dear according to some students on halloween night someone or something managed to manages to get locked or into let me start that again i ruined it i fucked it all up <laughs> something or someone manages to get into the locked attic and turn on the attic lights which are just bulbs hanging down from the ceiling oh, creepy. they flicker and swing around but they don't actually light the whole attic it's not a lot of light coming from them. Skylar, I can just see it. If anything, they make it harder to see. Yeah. Skylar Paltel said that during her freshman year at the residence of Barrett, Third East, genuinely believed the attic was haunted. According to Skylar, the female residents of the Third East would hear thumping on the ceiling at night coming from the attic. Since the attic in Barrett Hall is locked at all times, the source of the noise is quite a mystery. This mystery of the Barrett ghost came to a crescendo when, on Halloween, Skylar and her hallmates decided to play with a Ouija board on the third floor. Nope. Bad Stupid. idea. Bad idea. Stupid. It's always a Stupid. bad idea. Why do people do it? Have they seen no movies ever? And this was in like 2015. There's no excuse for it. They so should know. There's they should so know. many movies. Anyway. A group gathered around the board and repaired. <laughs> Not trying to judge them, I mean. But, but we were totally judging you. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? <laughs> a group gathered around the board and were preparing to play everyone with a hand on the planchette, skeptical of the game and goofing around before going out for the night. But when they asked the board questions, their hands moved in unison as the planchette traveled across the board and back, spelling out answers to their inquiries letter by letter. Is Barrett Hall haunted? They asked. Y E. Yes, came the reply, spelled quickly and fluidly by the little cardboard game piece. Mm. Whether the Ouija board was all bullshit or an actual connection to the other side is unclear because, well, beware of demons, y'all. First of all, let me just say that. <laughs> but Skylar is, at the very least, haunted by that night every Halloween. How so? She, it freaks her out. Every Halloween, she's like, I remember that night. <laughs> <laughs> 
with the Ouija board. Okay. You know. Okay. No, I see. And Sorry. It's I was on like, a, and I was it's like... on Halloween, so she's haunted by it at least she's haunted by the experience oh so i just pictured like for a moment i thought it was something like really dramatic like she wakes up every halloween night and sees the word yes scrolled like across the ceiling or something in our movie in our movie that's what happens sorry it's just skylar (laughs) i'm sorry it's just based on your story so (laughs) something else i wanted to get inspired by uh, something, I mean, it's going to get dark, but something else I wanted to get into is that William and Mary is known as the suicide school. Oh God. Why? Something it's the school's fault for not accurately supporting students and the pressures that get in, that into getting an education there. It's a very high pressure. It takes a lot to get in and a lot to stay in. The school seems to have a pretty supportive stance on the subject of mental health. And there are counselors av- available to students. But there is some controversy into whether or not they've done enough and whether the school has these counselors to stop college kids from killing themselves or to protect the school. I read several stories about kids who went in for help and they were advised to withdraw from the school and seek professional help and then come back. It's actually great advice, but why are they saying it? Some students leave and then they take their lives. Since they're not students when they pass, they're not part of the school statistics. But the school is providing counselors. Yeah. So I find it hard to believe that every student with a suicidal thought is going to be told to withdraw from school. Surely not. Yeah. I mean, surely. Yeah. But no. I don't want to brush off the concerns no, that some students have that they're not doing enough when it has when it has earned this reputation. Mm. But it seems not likely that it's everybody. And yeah. it's what are sure they? It's, it's kind of a catch twenty two. Sure. What are they supposed to do? You know, if somebody yeah. should, if somebody has enough issues and they're struggling enough that they do need to get help then they need to be told they need to get help so surely yeah yeah. and at the same time i mean college is is really tough but yeah it it, you know at some point it has to be on the college to maybe relax the rigid structure a little bit so that the experience isn't so overwhelming to the average human being yeah or you know you know you're not over promising yourself and that the school's not holding the kids responsible for it you know but you know by saying well you're the one who ever promised and you're the one who said you could do this and why did you take so many hours and it's like if you want to compete you have to and so yeah you know i've always i've always disliked the competitive nature of of, me too college especially the the more expensive and higher end it goes like it's like your whole life hinges on that and it can ruin you like if you you may not, I mean, you may physically survive a school like that, but you may not, you may be emotionally traumatized by the experience for the rest well, of your life. Well, and realistically, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme. The straight A's, it doesn't, it does not affect the rest of your life. No. In the way that you think it's going to no. in that time. But when you're that age, you know, you're conditioned to believe that everything, everything is, hinges I remember on thinking all this shit in high school I had to do perfectly. Oh, God. None same. of it was fucking right. Like, it. God, I use a calculator for everything. <laughs> well, and I've you're... never had to use a graphing calculator in my entire fucking adult life. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's but we'll a get into some yeah. of that in a little bit. Okay. Some more of that in a little bit. Okay. But Emily Wynn wrote a great article called The Story We're Not Telling the Loose Brick on medium.com about the subject. It's a really great article. Hmm. She opens it with another well known version of that popular ghost story from Tucker Hall. The girl and that I'm hanged herself, right? Uh, yes. So this is how Emily wrote it because I loved it. I didn't change anything. Moonlight leans into the circular glass windows of St. George Tucker Hall late at night, bright and glowing. The large brick building stands before a shadowed field guarded by a looming statue of a long-dead James Monroe. 
His bronzed hand is perched possessively alongside a bronzed globe. Outside, the world is still, but inside, the building churns with quiet energy. Air whispers in from the vents in the carpet up through the white-walled room on the third floor, and the lights mounted on the ceiling fill up the room without pause or flickering. A computer... A computer? A computer monitor (laughs) buzzes on a smooth gray podium. There are no footsteps outside. There are no voices. You are trying to sit still. A half-empty cup of hazelnut coffee rests on the table next to your tapping fingers. You pull your sweatshirt tightly around your body as the air moves through the room again. Pages of notes line the long table and a flash of vibrant red ink catches your eye. You turn around to copy it onto the whiteboard again in a matching dry erase marker. And as the cap pops off, the sharp smell of ink enters the air. It reminds you that you're still awake. There are never enough minutes before an exam to fit every folded up piece of information into your head. In the middle of October, the slowness of fall settles onto the William & Mary campus as the leaves float to the ground, but the students' shoes on the brick pathways kick them up again. Hmm. At the sound of the door handle rotating, you pull your head up to turn around. Do you mind if I study here too? A thin blonde white girl with heavy bags under her eyes looks back at you. She's carrying books, not in a bag, but huddled in her arms. Her pale hand hovers over the door. Sure. You turn back to your books, surprised at your own annoyance. Come on in, that's fine. You type and type, your fingers moving from the laptop keys to the papers to the whiteboard and back to the table, playing piano keys that aren't there. You don't see her sit down across from you, but she does. While she came in carrying books, she holds none of them now. Do you think you're going to pass your exam? What kind of question is that from a stranger? You look at her. She stares back at you, her head tilted towards her shoulder, smiling slightly. Her pale skin against the walls makes her glow, as if the room made her high cheekbones and tired body lighter. Her thin wrists cradle her elbows on top of the table. I don't know you, you say. I've never been confident before about an exam, and it usually turns out okay, but I've studied all night, going through everything I know, and I don't think I know enough. Her face changes, the polite softness fading into grim sharpness. She leans toward you, her bony hands suddenly gripping the edge of the table, her shoulders tense. She pauses and then leans back into her chair, taking a short breath. I know what will make you feel better, she says. You should kill yourself. God. That is a story that is that is the main story that is known. Now, of Ooh. course, I haven't been able to verify how true this is about the girl hanging herself. Mm. But the story goes that a student wanted to drop out because the pressure of school was, was too much. The young woman told her parents she wanted to come home, but they refused. She had to stay and finish. Not long afterwards, as she was studying in Tucker Hall, the pressures overwhelmed her and she took her own life. Nobody really said anything. Two years later, another woman hanged herself in the same exact spot and left a note that said, she made me do it. Oh. Again, how true is this? We don't know. And we certainly can't know if anyone took their own life with if they were told to do so by the spirit of a suicide victim. Mm. On October 19th, 2010, which is the anniversary of that George Washington surrender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, an article was written by Sam Sutton for the College Fix that stated over past over the past 43 years, 13 students have committed suicide at William and Mary. It's not a huge amount. 43 years, right? It's not great, yeah. but it's not huge. I mean, no number is good news, right? But... Uh, three of those in- occurred in 2010, though. Wow. Two students 
took their own life in March of 2003. So that was a little cluster. Mm. And there is at least one more suicide in 2014 and four in 2015. Wow. So then you're working on like 30% in five years, something like that. That's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, And so why? The pressures, of course, are real. In Emily Wynn's article, she clarifies some of that pressure. 78% of freshmen graduated in the top 10% of their class. Their SAT scores are higher than any other public university in Virginia. And their students earn doctorates at a higher rate than any other public university in the nation. Once you get in, the arms race doesn't end. You're competing with better students who are just as anxious as you are. Emily adds, America's second oldest school is haunted, and that simple truth remains steadfast even if you don't believe in ghost stories. Every student is followed around by the school's tumultuous history, suicide, racism, colonialism, and mental health issues. It's inescapable, and the stories and folklore that permeate the campus recirculate these issues without offering any solutions. However, in in 2016, it seems William and Mary upped their support and public acknowledgement that stress at their school is a real problem. Suicide rate nationally is growing and they felt a responsibility to create a conversation and space for students. Of course, I don't go there, so I don't know for sure, but it seems they are moving in the right direction. Another thing to consider is that suicides have a tendency to occur in clusters. It's called uh, suicide contagion. And it's a process in which suicide of one person or multiple people can contribute to a rise in suicidal behaviors among others, especially for those who already have suicidal thoughts or a known risk factor. For example, knowing someone or having a family member who's already committed suicide. Right, right. For example, after Robin Williams died, there was a 10% increase in suicides nationwide for four months. Mm. And I have a feeling if Robin Williams knew that was going to happen, he would not have taken his own life. Of course not. Of course not. If you know someone personally or have a connection to them, for example, if you attend the same school at the same time, those risks are significantly higher. Yeah. So I guess I want to say, if you are at risk, if you have thoughts about taking your own life, don't. First of all, you don't want to be the person that starts a cluster among your school or your friends or your family. Mm. And if you know someone who has taken their own life, understand that you are at a higher risk yourself. If you're stressed or you're struggling or suffering from depression or any number of life's bullshittery, know that suicide is not the answer. Life can be shitty. I get it. You get it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We know. But remember that your brain is sometimes not your friend. When I was 14 or 15, my grandparents volunteered me to be studied by the daughter or granddaughter, I can't fucking remember, of one of their friends at church who was getting her master's in psychology. And she had to observe an adolescent for her adolescent psychology class. I was less than excited about this. I had to meet with her once fucking week, something like that. It was a lot. And (laughs) And bury your soul. Yeah, for an entire fucking semester. And I had to answer random questions that she was being told to ask me for the class. God. Yeah, thanks, Grandma and Grandpa. But actually, thank you, because that woman probably saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. So she would tell me why she was asking me the questions and what they were learning in the class. So she kind of explained a lot to me as it went on. She was younger, too, because she was just in fresh into graduate school. And I thought she was pretty, which helps everything when you're 14. (laughs) She told me, right? She explained to me that during adolescence, there is no middle ground of emotion. It's all very, very awesome or the worst thing that ever happened. 
There yeah. was no in-between. <laughs> but eventually, once your amygdala fully developed, you would have a middle ground. Everything wouldn't feel mm. so extreme. So when everything, I thought things were too hard, I'd remind myself that it was just my brain. There wasn't really anything that wrong. And I said that to myself, even when I found out my first boyfriend was cheating on me with like three other girls from three different schools. Oof. Yeah. I know how to pick them until like four years ago. <laughs> like, was, man, I got some stories. You and me both, honey. Right? You and me both. So for me, knowing that like that my brain was making these extremes mm -hmm. that made it easier for me. And it seems to have helped some other people that I've talked to about it. So I wanted to share that and, and explain that a lot of, like a lot of mental issues come with certain regulating parts of the brain, not fucking doing their job. Yeah. And that is not anybody's fault. No, it you just know? is. It it's is like the what weather, it is. And you know? all of that is to say to get help. I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills for a long time. And my psychologist said, if you had high cholesterol, wouldn't you take medicine to fix that? If you mm -hmm. had diabetes, wouldn't you take medication to stabilize that? If your brain is not working properly and there is a medication that would fix it, why would you not that take that too? There's such a stigma still, mm -hmm. um, um, sometimes self-imposed, though we're conditioned to self-impose it on ourselves, I guess, that people, that if there's something wrong, you know, externally, you're an idiot for not going to the right. doctor or, you know, seeing to that broken leg or that cut or that infection or whatever, or that or that cavity. But if, if something is wrong with your brain, we consider it a mark on our souls to ask for help. Like we're right. somehow insufficient. I don't have the same, no one I know has the same feeling about a cut or a bruise or a bone that's broken. They go, well, I should just, I should just be able to fix this myself. No, you go to a fucking doctor without right. thinking, without even feeling, without, it never even occurs to you that, that there's another way to think about it, except I need to fix this. Let's right. go to the doctor. Exactly. So why in hell do we have the same issue that what taking drugs or whatever or seeking therapy is somehow weakness bullshit right. it is like I, I forget the author's else. name but but he wrote a book called the noonday demon which i highly recommend for anyone that likes dense reading on the subject of, of depression uh i know it changed my views a lot but he says and i'm paraphrasing uh i may have even mentioned this before but he said like to to refuse help in in the shape of like you know um pharmaceutical help you know medical help to refuse the everything at our disposal everything in the modern doctor's arsenal to, to combat mental illness is to fucking be fighting modern warfare on the back of a horse with yeah. nothing but a fucking bayonet you right. can't i mean you can't you're, you're it. it's it's ridiculous yeah. it's not it's it's okay to be not okay and Absolutely. it's more than okay to seek help anywhere Absolutely. you can fucking find it that's right i believe wholeheartedly that no one who kills themselves is in, is in their right mind yeah. it's not their fault that they're not in their right mind um but just for anyone that's having those thoughts i've had them we've all I, m most people i know have had them yeah um and some people have gotten close to acting on them i know i have uh in the past and it's a thing I think I just have to remind whenever those thoughts tend to get a foothold, it's not as easy as this, of course, but it can at least begin to be a step in the right direction is remembering I'm not in my right mind and my mind is not always going to be like this. Right. And it's eventually not I will find my right mind again. Yes. It's just sick. Don't hold mm -hmm. it accountable Yeah. when, you know, go, just go get, go get help. What if it's an allergy too? I always think about that. What if, you yeah, there's so you know, many things that can cause, the brain is a very sensitive apparatus. It goes mm -hmm. wrong for a lot of fucking reasons, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things we can do to kind of get it on balance again. Right. Well, so, and it's like push-ups. This is 
extremely simplifying. <laughs> if you can't do a full push-up, what do you do until you can do a full push-up? I have push-up. You do oh, it on your knees. Nice or you do a yeah. push-up against the wall until yeah. you can build up the strength to, to do a full push-up. The strength. If you need help building up the strength, get the help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I know it's simplifying. And I remember the first time I went to a therapist, I was like, something is wrong with me. And I, it took me a while to get over that. It's okay. It's not, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just normal. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, and it's no different than going to a doctor for anything. And if you don't go to the doctor when you're sick, go to the doctor when you're sick. Please, for you're God's sake. You're going to get an infection. Oh, Right. Hopefully, we don't have to tell anyone that. But there's always there's always someone. I mean, how many yeast infections do women get? We don't not treat that. Sorry, this is a lot of information. I was like, you you looked at me when you said that. I'm like, I don't. It's a lot. It's not my area of expertise. It happens. It happens. And so we can't take an antibiotic without risking it. Mm. I mean, it's just a thing. Yeah. So if we know that, we take care of it. Yeah. Like, treat your brain as good as you treat your vagina, ladies. Yeah. And men, you know, same general idea, but dicks, I guess. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, I mean, but then you've got, like, if people will take a medicine to fix the dick. Yeah, they'll take, they'll take pills to, you know, to get yeah. hard, but not to. It's such a Which weird. Which is a brain thing anyway, actually. So it's ridiculous. Anyway. That's true. True. So the, the all that oh. is to say, get thee to a Prozac. Get thee. Help get, yourself. Get thee to help. Whatever works best for you. It may take some time to figure that out, just like blood pressure medicine or the right under eye cream, because I am struggling right now. <laughs> but it's totally fucking worth it. Uh, don't give up because your brain isn't working. And if some bitch in white is telling you to kill yourself, tell her to get bent. And then if she gets bent, leave, because that would be terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Survive to tell us the goddamn story. You can Um, also call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. They're open 24-7, and they can save your life. Don't be a statistic. If I had never gotten the help I needed, I would never have been able to troll the trolls on Twitter. We all have a purpose. Stay here for that purpose. Okay, I really... I just really felt like I needed to talk about that. Oh, thank you. I want to add one things. more thing to sure. that, a recommendation that I have for the readers out there. I already mentioned The Noonday Demon, which I do highly recommend. Uh, but there's a book out there that I know have shed a lot of light on suicide for me. And that's a book called Night Falls Fast, Understanding Suicide by Kay Redfield Jameson. It is such a beautiful a book on a dark subject, but that ultimately mm-hmm. ends up being this brilliant celebration of why the answer to suicide is always not to fucking do it. Right. Uh, right. Highly recommend to anyone out there yes. that just finds themselves, especially in this season, because as winter, you know, as winter encroaches, you know, it's it's very human and natural to have those kind of thoughts. Right. And we're after midterms, especially for guys in school mm-hmm. and going into the, you know, finals and yeah. going home. And that's and we, a lot of pressure. We want we want you to be here to tell us stories about ghosts. That's we don't want you to be ghosts. A hundred thousand percent. So, OK, back to William and Mary. I want to finish with the last paragraph from Emily Wynn's article. It was so good. I could not not share it. It was such a good article. She put so much into perspective regarding ghost stories and history in this last paragraph of her article. The stories that we're not telling still come through in the stories that we are. Every ghost that lurks behind a door was once a person of flesh and blood with opinions and heartache and connections to others, living and dead. Their tale leaves a mark on the community, and as we repeat them, we slowly lose sight of their perspective. Mm. Whether it's a student whose thoughts and self-doubts terrify her, or another who looks at each statue of a rich white man on campus and feels the color of his skin that much more, Mm. their personal ghosts are alive. They are alive in every tale we tell, 
Why were these people here? Why did they want to be? What keeps them on this campus? What can we do so that the terrors that haunted them don't haunt us too? God, that's beautiful. Right? Mm. So that is William and Mary. Um, what a journey. Yeah, it, it it really was. The more I looked into it, the more I was like, oh my gosh, this is the, it's never going to end. I'm going to be talking about William and Mary forever. <laughs> but um, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, I hope uh, it kind of ended on it at a little bit of a dark note but we want you guys to celebrate life yes and um Please. our podcast you know celebrate that shit it's fun <laughs> halloween that oh, was yeah. halloween and we're going into thanksgiving yep yep true, um true. and so uh send us your stories again at the uh our email or no wait on our submission form I can say this is a very strong drink. <laughs> You've had um, two sips I know of that it's drink. so strong. I haven't. We need to eaten. eat your stew. We do what need. We need. I need we stew. Need, we need to be fortified. Ghoulintentions.com. Yes. And there is a submission form on that. Easy peasy. Beautiful cover girl. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think that's easy breezy, but well, oh, you know, well, whatever. Close enough. We'll go one. ahead. So, we'll give it to you. Um, thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon yes, again. You've you been amazing. Um, thank you to Matt for editing this. We love you so much, <laughs> Matt. Best. So much. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a national network of local crisis centers that provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicide crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. If you need help, please call them now. Don't wait. You are absolutely worth it.